Hey, let's pray together. Wow, don't you love it? Man, it's awesome. Well, good evening. If I haven't met you, my name is Dallas. I'd love the opportunity to meet you after the service, introduce yourself, get to know you, all that. We are um, going to be in the book of Galatians tonight, Galatians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn there. Now, sometimes we may just take a verse and kind of marinate and stew in it all evening. And sometimes we might take huge chunks of Scripture. Tonight is a big chunk Scripture night. So we're going to be, at the end of Galatians 2 through Galatians 5, we're going to read three full chapters of the Scriptures here tonight. And it's going to be kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. You know, you might get hydrated or you might get knocked off your feet, one or the other, right? So whatever God's going to do here tonight, God's going to do. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians 2. Now as you're turning there... Um, let me say this, Tr- traditions can be very good things in our lives. They can be very helpful. They can help us be pointed to the things that are most important in our lives. The problem is when we begin to be defined by our traditions. Or worse, when we start to be justified by our traditions or think we've earned something because of our traditions. Or even worse than that thinking that other people must come and be a part of our tradition in order to be right with God. And this was the issue with the church in Galatia. They became guilty of this. They started expecting that non-Jewish Christians would begin to hold the Jewish traditions. Things like circumcisions, things like uh, memorizing the Torah, all these things in order to have salvation. And in this letter, Paul really squashes that notion altogether, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 it isn't through the Torah, it isn't through tradition, it isn't through the law. Justification comes by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so it may have roots in Jewish tradition, but it is now available to all people through Jesus Christ. See, what the law was powerless to do, Christ came and did. But the Jewish Christians were simply holding on to this tradition of earning because they felt like they were a step ahead 
of everybody else. And I think that's kind of a natural thought, isn't it? When you feel like you have position, you don't want this thing to be available to all because you feel like you're ahead of the game. Now, this begs the question for us here tonight, too. Is there any tradition that we are putting our faith in? Right? That's a question that we've got to ask because I think if you're like me, you look back at people from history and you're like, oh, well, that was dumb. But then whenever you really start to think about it, you're like, wait, do I do those same things? And so are there any traditions that we are putting our faith in? Or is our faith solely and wholly in the finished work of Jesus Christ? I mean, what if everything changed for us overnight? What if we no longer could meet in this building? Would that reveal that our faith is somewhat placed in this building? Or what if all of a sudden the next generation said, you know what, we're not doing Barntoberfests. We're not doing women's retreats. We, we don't believe in the whole men's breakfast thing and all that. Like, would we feel like somehow we've lost the blueprint here for people coming to know Jesus? Or is our faith in Jesus Christ alone? Now, what if, now this may be a bridge too far. What if we all of a sudden decided no more cheddar rounds on Sunday morning? <laughs> Surprised nobody got up and left yet. Right? What if, what if we had to meet outside in the heat of July? Right? Is Jesus Christ enough is really the question. Um, our friend from Uganda, Godfrey, planted a church a couple years ago, and this church meets under the mango tree. That's where they meet. Because they're there for Jesus. Not for anything else. Not for a religious tradition. Not because, you know, things are nice or whatever. It is to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because, man, i got to tell you guys, like, I don't know about you, but I'd rather ditch all the traditions we have and keep Christ than get rid of Christ and keep all the traditions. And so for us tonight, we've got to ask ourselves, are we like the church in Galatia and saying, you know what, we've got the blueprint, we've got the tradition, we've got the way forward? Or are we saying, if, if God is doing anything, it's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit being in us. It's not any tradition we have, it's Him at work. That's the question that we got to have, because guys, i I got to level with you. There is a gospel that's circulating around the Christian faith that, that really concerns me, that says you've got to believe this specific thing, this secondary theological thing, or this tradition, or whatever the case may be, and I'm concerned that we're unnecessarily uh, pushing people away from the faith with that. Because Paul says here very clearly, he says it is through Christ. It's his righteousness. In fact, he says this, righteousness can't be gained even through keeping the law. So even if we agreed on the quote-unquote right things, all of it, we still don't get where we need to be. We only get where we need to be through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how we get where we need to be. We can't moralize our way into heaven. And you know, I've, I think for 18 years I thought I was a Christian because my parents were a Christian. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience, but I just thought this is the cultural norm that I latch onto. I go to church. I'm doing better than my friends. I got to tell you, I didn't intend to tell you guys this, but I thought when I was about 18, I thought if I just skipped one weekend of going to parties, 
I was doing better than my friends, so God would like me a little bit better. I mean, that was kind of my mentality, like, okay, I'm doing pretty good here. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that it is Christ's righteousness. That's the gospel. All right, so I'm going to let Paul preach now. I'm done preaching. All right, we're going to get in Galatians 2, and we're going to read from verse 21 through the end of chapter 5. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, and we'll do that. Reading out of the NIV. It says this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to just learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Paul, just lay it out there, man. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does, not, uh, who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, is no longer, it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what has been promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that uh, was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. 
Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are underage, we are in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, are, uh, who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? 
Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offenses of the cross has, has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Hey, worship team, you guys can... <laughs> you guys. Complete unnecessary applause. Uh, you guys, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come forward. Um, man, I would just love, like, one of our values is to be in the scriptures. And I, I read a study uh, just this morning that said 9% of proclaimed Christians read the Bible each day. And I found that just really interesting. And, um, and I don't say that to, like, you know, add guilt or, or shame here tonight. I just say that to say that some of these traditions can start to become the main thing if 
we're not rooted into the Scriptures, right? That, that if the Scriptures anchor us, then these things that can toss us around, these ideas, these things that, that, that other people in history have been bound by, we won't be bound by because the Scriptures anchor us. And so here tonight, I think, um, I think it's really important for us to work a game plan against these schemes, against these things that Galatia really struggled with. Things like, you know, I've, I've just, this, it's been this way all my life, right? This is the tradition. I just don't know if I can jump ship from the traditions. And y'all, the traditions are good things. We're going to keep the cheddar rounds, by the way, all right? That ain't, that's not changing. Cheddar rounds are staying, all right? Traditions are good, but we've got to be careful not to let the traditions be the thing that we think are the blueprint towards God doing what God's going to do. Because Paul tells us very clearly that it is faith in Jesus Christ alone, period, end of story. Our justification is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, as Grace Meadows Church, when, as we move forward, I, I'd encourage us to continue to have that humility to say, look, we don't have, we're not blueprinting our way. As we grow, we desire that that growth is only out of Jesus Christ being saturated all over this place and nothing else. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else except Jesus Christ having his way in our hearts and as a church. So, question I have for us as we get back into worship is very simply, where are we putting our trust? Is it in keeping the law? Is it by our good works? Is it in our traditions or interpretations that we think we've gotten just right? Is it anything but faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe you're here tonight and you've been, you've been in church for 20 years. And you've just never really considered. You've always thought it was about the outward deed, the keeping of the law. And you've never really considered that, you know what, this promise that God has made came before there was a law. And the fact that it is... The fulfillment of that promise, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise, and that we're not saved by the law. I think it's our nature to say, if I'm doing good enough, then I feel like I'm okay. But Jesus tells us in the scriptures, no, I'm sorry, you can't just do okay enough. You could fulfill the entire law, and Paul says that that's just not enough. That's just not enough. We have to have Christ, who is the mediator, between us and God, it is faith in Jesus Christ, and that is it, and that is all. So, if you've never made that decision, if you've never uh, had that conviction that, you know what, Jesus Christ is everything, I felt like maybe I've just tried to, you know, do enough and make sure God was happy with me and go to church and those things, man, I'd love to talk to you about that. The altars are going to be open. I would love to pray with you. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship. Father, Thank you for this time. I pray, I mean, there's just, you know, times where we just need to go back to the very beginning and maybe we just stay there. Maybe we just marinate in it. Maybe we just go back to the simple, pure gospel and continue to be remade in that. And maybe we have nights where we get into deep theological truths, but I pray that you'll always make us a church that foundationally is so rooted deeply in the finished work of Jesus Christ that it is nothing that we've done or nothing that we've earned. It is simply you and what you're doing. Father, make us a church of humility to say, 
yeah, like the, the blueprint is good, the traditions are good, you know, the things that you're doing in our lives are good, but it is ultimately you. It is all you. It's always been you. It always will be you. Make us a people like the tax collector that just beats our chest and says, God have mercy on us as sinner like we haven't earned our way at all. It is you and you alone. It is your promise. It is your end of the covenant. It, it is you who has always held your end of the deal. And you have fulfilled your promise through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I pray here tonight that you'll make us a people who lean into that truth. And maybe that's extremely liberating for us tonight. You know, maybe we've just felt like we've got to get in good with you before we come to you. I pray that you'll help us to be encouraged by the light burden that you offer because Jesus has carried that burden. Or maybe we're, we're sort of like the older brother in the prodigal son story that we felt like we've earned our way. And remind us that we're just as lost as that younger brother. Help us to see, help us to have clear eyes to see that there's such a, a juxtaposition between who we are and who you are. Because you are so good all the time. And so, Father, I pray that you'll make in us a people of humility, a people of the pure and simple gospel, and that all this other stuff will be just tools that we utilize and never get in the way of that truth. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, we need you. Saturate our hearts here tonight in worship. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's worship.